Welcome to Songs of Praise from 3ABN Australia Radio. And unworthy How can I be forgiven And holy And I know I break your heart But you promised I could start all over And all the things I've done You've placed them each and every one Into the sea of forgetfulness you placed all of my sin for I am the one who keeps reminding you 
Into the sea of forgetfulness. You welcome me with open arms of mercy. In spite of all I've done, you still keep loving me, and I only need to ask. Debts have all been paid. They have all been washed away into the sea of forgetfulness. You placed all of my sin. Smile. 
found me there the bright and morning star sheds its beams around me in the cross in the cross be my glory ever till my raptured soul shall find rest beyond
This is Songs of Praise, brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio.
You're listening to Songs of Praise. Like thine 
can peace afford. I need Thee, oh I need Thee. Every hour I need Thee. Oh bless me now, my Savior. I come to Thee. I need thee every hour. Stay thou nearby. Temptations lose their power when thou art nigh. And I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. Oh, bless me now, my. I come to Thee. I need Thee every hour. Teach me. And thy rich promises in me fulfill. I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior. I come to
across the way. Some poor fainting, struggling seaman, you may rescue, you may save. Trim your people, let my brother, some poor sailor, tempest tossed, trying now to make the harbor. In the darkness may be lost. Let the lower lights be burning. Send a gleam across the way. Some poor fainting, struggling seaman, you may rescue, you may save. Listening to 3ABN Australia Radio's Songs of Praise.
You've been listening to Songs of Praise, a production of Threben Australia Radio. Welcome to Threben Australia Radio's book reading program. The book Christ's Object Lessons, written by Ellen White, presents the parables of Jesus in a fresh light, showing their application to Christian living today. In this devotional classic, Ellen White explores the depths of the best-loved teachings of Jesus, offering a deeply spiritual understanding of the parables of Christ as they apply to our lives today. You'll enjoy the practical applications in a way that touches your heart. Listen now as Clive Nash reads. Continuing the chapter, The Lord's Vineyard. The Jewish leaders looked with pride upon their magnificent temple and the imposing rites of their religious service. But justice, mercy, and the love of God were lacking. The glory of the temple, the splendor of their service, could not recommend them to God. For that which alone is of value in His sight, they did not offer. They did not bring Him the sacrifice of a humble and contrite spirit. It is when the vital principles of the kingdom of God are lost that ceremonies become multitudinous and extravagant. It is when the character building is neglected, when the adornment of the soul is lacking, when the simplicity of godliness is lost sight of, that pride and love of display demand magnificent church edifices, splendid adornings, and imposing ceremonials. In all this, God is not honoured. A fashionable religion that consists of ceremonies, pretense and display, is not acceptable to Him. Its services call forth no response from the heavenly messengers. The church is very precious in God's sight. He values it, not for its external advantages, but for the sincere piety which distinguishes it from the world. He estimates it according to the growth of the members in the knowledge of Christ, according to their progress in spiritual experience. Christ hungers to receive from his vineyard the fruit of holiness and unselfishness. He looks for the principles of love and goodness. Not all the beauty of art can bear comparison with the beauty of temper and character to be revealed in those who are Christ's representatives. It is the atmosphere of grace which surrounds the soul of the believer, the Holy Spirit working upon mind and heart, that makes him a savour of life unto life and enables God to bless his work. A congregation may be the poorest in the land. It may be without the attraction of any outward show. But if the members possess the principles of the character of Christ, they will have his joy in their souls. Angels will unite with them in their worship. The praise and thanksgiving from grateful hearts will ascend to God as a sweet oblation. The Lord desires us to make mention of His goodness and tell of His power. He is honoured by the expression of praise and thanksgiving. He says, Whoso offereth praise glorifieth me. Psalm 50 verse 23. The people of Israel, as they journeyed through the wilderness, praised God in sacred song. The commandments and promises of the Lord were set to music, and all along the journey these were sung by the pilgrim travellers. And in Canaan, as they met at their sacred feasts, God's wonderful works were to be recounted, and grateful thanksgiving was to be offered to His name. 
God desired that the whole life of his people should be a life of praise. Thus his way was to be made known upon the earth, his saving health among all nations. Psalm 67 verse 2. So it should be now. The people of the world are worshipping false gods. They are to be turned from their false worship, not by hearing denunciation of their idols, but by beholding something better. God's goodness is to be made known. Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, that I am God. Isaiah 43 verse 12. The Lord desires us to appreciate the great plan of redemption, to realize our high privilege as the children of God, and to walk before Him in obedience with grateful thanksgiving. He desires us to serve Him in newness of life, with gladness every day. He longs to see gratitude welling up in our hearts, because our names are written in the Lamb's book of life, because we may cast all our care upon Him who cares for us. He bids us rejoice because we are the heritage of the Lord, because the righteousness of Christ is the white robe of his saints, because we have the blessed hope of the soon coming of our Saviour. To praise God in fullness and sincerity of heart is as much a duty as is prayer. We are to show to the world and to all the heavenly intelligences that we appreciate the wonderful love of God for fallen humanity and that we are expecting larger and yet larger blessings from His infinite fullness. Far more than we do, we need to speak of the precious chapters in our experience. After a special outpouring of the Holy Spirit, our joy in the Lord and our efficiency in His service would be greatly increased by recounting His goodness and His wonderful works in behalf of His children. These exercises drive back the power of Satan. They expel the spirit of murmuring and complaint, and the tempter loses ground. They cultivate these attributes of character, which will fit the dwellers on earth for the heavenly mansions. Such a testimony will have an influence upon others. No more effective means can be employed for winning souls to Christ. We are to praise God by tangible service, by doing all in our power to advance the glory of His name. God imparts his gifts to us that we also may give and thus make known his character to the world. Under the Jewish economy, gifts and offerings formed an essential part of God's worship. The Israelites were taught to devote a tithe of all their income to the service of the sanctuary. Besides this, they were to bring sin offerings, free will gifts and offerings of gratitude. These were the means for supporting the ministry of the gospel for that time. God expects no less from us than he expected from his people anciently. The great work for the salvation of souls must be carried forward. In the tithe, with gifts and offerings, he has made provision for this work. Thus he intends that the ministry of the gospel shall be sustained. He claims the tithe as his own, and it should ever be regarded as a sacred reserve to be placed in his treasury for the benefit of his cause. He asks also for our free will gifts and offerings of gratitude. All are to be devoted to the sending of the gospel unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Service to God includes personal ministry. By personal effort we are to cooperate with Him for the saving of the world. Christ's commission, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, is spoken to every one of His followers, 
Mark 16, verse 15. All who are ordained unto the life of Christ are ordained to work for the salvation of their fellow men. Their hearts will throb in unison with the heart of Christ. The same longing for souls that he has felt will be manifest in them. Not all can fill the same place in the work, but there is a place and a work for all. In ancient times, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses with his meekness and wisdom, and Joshua with his varied capabilities were all enlisted in God's service. The music of Miriam, the courage and piety of Deborah, the filial affection of Ruth, the obedience and faithfulness of Samuel, the stern fidelity of Elijah, the softening, subduing influence of Elisha, all were needed. So now all upon whom God's blessing has been bestowed are to respond by actual service. Every gift is to be employed for the advancement of his kingdom and the glory of his name. All who receive Christ as a personal saviour are to demonstrate the truth of the gospel and its saving power upon the life. God makes no requirement without making provision for its fulfilment. Through the grace of Christ, we may accomplish everything that God requires. All the riches of heaven are to be revealed through God's people. Herein is my Father glorified, Christ says, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. John 15 verse 8. God claims the whole earth as his vineyard. Though now in the hands of the usurper, it belongs to God. By redemption, no less than by creation, it is his. For the world, Christ's sacrifice was made. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. John 3.16 It is through that one gift that every other is imparted to men. Daily, the whole world receives blessing from God. Every drop of rain, every ray of light shed upon an unthankful race, every leaf and flower and fruit testifies to God's long forbearance and his great love. And what returns are made to the great giver? How are men treating the claims of God? To whom are the masses of mankind giving the service of their lives? They are serving mammon. Wealth, position, pleasure in the world is their aim. Wealth is gained by robbery, not of man only, but of God. Men are using his gifts to gratify their selfishness. Everything they can grasp is made to minister to their greed and their love of selfish pleasure. The sin of the world today is the sin that brought destruction upon Israel. Ingratitude to God, the neglect of opportunities and blessings, the selfish appropriation of God's gifts, these were comprised in the sin that brought wrath upon Israel. They are bringing ruin upon the world today. The tears which Christ shed upon Olivet as he stood overlooking the chosen city, were not for Jerusalem alone. In the fate of Jerusalem, he beheld the destruction of the world. If thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. Luke 19, verse 42. In this thy day, the day is nearing its close. The period of mercy and privilege is well nigh ended. The clouds of vengeance are gathering. The rejectors of God's grace are about to be involved in swift and irretrievable ruin. Yet the world is asleep. The people know not the time of their visitation.
In this crisis, where is the church to be found? Are its members meeting the claims of God? Are they fulfilling His commission, representing His character to the world? Are they urging upon the attention of their fellow men the last merciful message of warning? Men are in peril. Multitudes are perishing. But how few of the professed followers of Christ are burdened for these souls? The destiny of a world hangs in the balance. But this hardly moves even those who claim to believe the most far-reaching truths ever given to mortals. There is a lack of that love which led Christ to leave his heavenly home and take man's nature that humanity might touch humanity and draw humanity to divinity. There is a stupor, a paralysis upon the people of God which prevents them from understanding the duty of the hour. When the Israelites entered Canaan, they did not fulfill God's purpose by taking possession of the whole land. After making a partial conquest, they settled down to enjoy the fruits of their victories. In their unbelief and love of ease, they congregated in the portions already conquered instead of pushing forward to occupy new territory. Thus they began to depart from God. By their failure to carry out His purpose, they made it impossible for Him to fulfill to them His promise of blessing. Is not the church of today doing the same thing? With the whole world before them in need of the gospel, professed Christians congregate where they themselves can enjoy gospel privileges. They do not feel the necessity of occupying new territory, carrying the message of salvation into regions beyond. They refuse to fulfill Christ's commission, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Mark 16.15 Are they less guilty than was the Jewish church? The professed followers of Christ are on trial before the heavenly universe. But the coldness of their zeal and the feebleness of their efforts in God's service mark them as unfaithful. If what they are doing were the best they could do, condemnation would not rest upon them. But were their hearts enlisted in the work, they could do much more. They know, and the world knows, that they have to a great degree lost the spirit of self-denial and cross-bearing. Many there are against whose names will be found written in the books of heaven, not producers, but consumers. By many who bear Christ's name, his glory is obscured, his beauty veiled, his honor withheld. Join us again next time as Clive Nash continues to read from the book Christ's Object Lessons, written by Ellen G. White. short presentation on the history of the Reformation from lineagejourney.com. For centuries the Waldensians had been a beacon of light shining amidst the prevailing darkness. Faithfully they preserved God's word and worked tirelessly to share it throughout Europe. For this they paid a high price, facing wave after wave of bitter persecution. The intense persecution that they faced began to wear down the Waldensian churches and they began to give in to the temptation to compromise. 
Many began to render an outward compliance to the papacy while trying to remain true to their faith in God's word. But this course of action began to quietly erode the purity of their faith. Around this time of crisis, the Waldensians got word of the Reformation that was beginning to take root throughout Europe. They heard of the work that was taking place in Germany, Switzerland and France. And in order to fully understand the nature of this new movement and determine what similarities they shared, the Waldensian churches decided to send a few delegations of ambassadors to the churches in Europe. As these ambassadors came back, they brought back some of the writings of the leading reformers, as well as reports of what similarities they shared, and this greatly encouraged the Waldensian believers. Up until this point, they had been a lone voice calling people back to the standard of God's word, and reports of other like-minded believers was a source of great comfort to them. The leaders of the Waldensian churches then decided to convene a synod with representatives from the Protestant churches so they could meet with the leaders of the Waldensian churches to discuss their beliefs and further determine the relationship that the Waldensians would have with the Reformation as a whole. On the 12th of October, 1532, Right here in the Angronia Valley, the Synod of Chen Ferran was convened and sat for six consecutive days. One of the most significant decisions that was made was the resolution to translate and print the entire Bible into the French language, and the Waldensian churches raised the funds for this endeavor. The work was then undertaken by Calvin and his cousin Oliverton and was completed in 1535. The Bible was then printed in Neuchâtel, Switzerland, and then distributed amongst the French-speaking Protestants in Europe. Some of the commonalities shared between the two churches was a rejection of decidedly papal institutions, such as the Mass, Confession, the celebration of feasts, the worship of saints, the celebration of Lent, the observance of the lenticular fast, and prayers for the dead. Other doctrines that they also rejected was purgatory, penance, and celibacy. However, it was not all good. In their joy at finding fellowship, the Waldensian churches were quick to embrace some of the shortcomings of the Reformation as well. Whilst the Reformation of the 16th century was a decided step in the right direction, it did not bring about a complete restoration of biblical truth. In some areas of belief and doctrine, the Waldensians made compromises that represented a step backwards as they found fellowship with the Reformation. Two things that stand out from the Synod of Chanfran. Firstly, we see the importance of Christian fellowship and we see the importance of the accountability and encouragement that comes with Christian fellowship. However, fellowship can be a two-edged sword and sometimes we can be tempted to compromise as we do fellowship with other believers. Let us be careful as we're on this road to heaven that we do not let our Christian experience be derailed but that we stay on track and keep our eyes focused on Jesus. To view more episodes in this series on the Reformation, go to lineagejourney.com.